Welcome to Leading Lights. Thanks for listening. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. What do you think Jesus looked like? We've been doing a series called Letting People See Jesus. But what did he look like? Any ideas? I mean, people have drawn pictures of him. And all through the ages, people have tried to guess what he looked like. But the only clue we have is in Isaiah 53, verse 2. It says, he has no form of, or comeliness, which means he's not particularly good looking. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He looked like a normal person, which is amazing because inside him was God. And yet he looked like a man. And we've come to the place in our life cycle in the story of Jesus where we're about a year before he dies, in about April, uh, probably about 28 AD, just a, a year or so before he dies, and suddenly Jesus starts to show people more clearly who he really is. Up until now, people have been following him, but there's been some debate. They don't know, is he the Christ? Is he God? Is he the Son of God? Who is he really? And so... Uh, we came to a place which we've preached on in the past, so I'm not going to preach on it now, where Jesus says to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And you would have thought it was a no-brainer. Obviously, you're, you're the son of God. But there was a lot of debate. Well, some say this and some say that and Elijah and well, we're not really sure. And then Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus says, you didn't work this out with your own fleshly brain. God in heaven revealed this to you. Amazing. So suddenly, just before the end, just a year before he dies, Jesus starts to plainly say to some people, to his disciples, who he really is. But it's amazing to me that the Son of God on earth could be in such disguise that people wouldn't recognize him. And the reason this is so important today for you and me is because you and I have the power of God inside us, but we're also just in normal fleshly, crumply human bodies, just normal flesh and blood. The, the Bible talks about it being a treasure inside a jar of clay. So there's this earthen jar, you just see a dirty, muddy jar, but inside it is a treasure. The Bible talks about it as a shining bright light, but it's hidden inside this jar of clay. And it goes on to say that when we're hard pressed and crushed, then that light inside can shine out and people can see this treasure that's inside us. So we come to this place in Jesus' life where he takes three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up a mountain and he shines brightly, brighter than the sun, and his clothes, the Bible says, are shining brighter than any detergent could wash. I just think that's such a funny statement in the Bible. It's like an advert for a, for a cleaning agent. But it says his clothes were shining bright. His face was shining bright. The glory of God was shining out of him. And then Moses and Elijah came and started talking with him, amazingly enough. And then the, a cloud of God's glory descended upon all of them because Peter, James, and John were there. And God spoke out of the cloud and said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And so any confusion that Peter, James, and John had had up until this point was taken away completely. Suddenly they knew for sure this is the Son of God. 
And Peter, writing many, many years later in 2 Peter 1, so Peter's an old man now when he writes uh, in 2 Peter 1. This is, he, this is about 40 years later. After he's seen this glory on the mountain and Jesus shining out, Peter says this, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter, 40 years later, is still, this is the main thing in the front of his mind, I've seen the glory of God. I've seen heaven. Isn't that amazing? Why is this relevant to us? Friends, we could look at this as a theoretical exercise. Wow, Jesus, okay, he's shining, nice, heaven, butte. But actually, it's so important for us because Christian, the Bible says you have that same glory, that same treasure inside you. You are, in an, earth, you are an earthen vessel with treasure inside. And you and I are supposed to be shining the glory of God just like Jesus did. And if we're not, it's such a pity because we've got this treasure. How many, how many Christians live their lives on earth as just the same as every other person who doesn't know Jesus? They've got this treasure inside, but they're living as if they don't have it. It's a bit like having a lottery ticket in your pocket, which you've won you know, the Euro Millions Lottery, I don't know, 700 million, and it's stuck in your pocket and you don't even take any advantage of it. That's the picture. Christian, you and I have the glory, the same glory that Jesus had on the inside of us, and if we don't learn how to shine it out, if we don't know how to access it, if we don't know how to enjoy it, it's possible for you to live as a Christian. You have the treasure inside you. You have the glory of God inside you, but you're living just the same as somebody, your next door neighbor, your work colleague who doesn't know Christ. You have the same problems, you have the same fears, worries, sicknesses, unhappiness. You're just the same. <laughs> the, you, the great thing is you get to heaven and enjoy it, but we're supposed to enjoy part of it here. We really are. I can't remember the verse, I wish I could, but it says Jesus came to deliver us from this present evil age. In this life. In this life, we're supposed to have victory, not just in the life to come. So let's look at this. Are you ready? Let's, there's, many, there's three passages, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but I'm just going to read it from Mark chapter 9. So remember, Jesus has just been talking to his disciples. Who do men say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus talks about he's going to come in his glory. Let me read the last verse of Mark chapter 8. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. And so he's, he's telling them about, about you know, glory and, and the time to come. And then it says, the very next verse, chapter 9, verse 1, it says, And he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death, Till they see the kingdom of God present with power. 
So Jesus said it's possible that some of those, some of his disciples would see the kingdom, the, the future glory of heaven before they die. He said, some of you will see it with power. Then in verse 2, it says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and he led them up a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. That word transfigured is the Greek word metamorpho, where we get our word metamorphosis. As a, as a caterpillar changes and becomes a moth, Jesus was changed. That's the extent of the change. And it, it's mentioned here and in Matthew, talking about the transfiguration, this word metamorpho. And then it's only two other times in the Bible. Romans 12, verse 2, says, Be transformed, be transfigured by the renewing of your mind. It says we can be metamorphosized if we renew our minds. And then uh, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, says we are changed, transfigured from glory to glory as we gaze on His glory. So there's only four times this word appears in the Bible. Two about Jesus and two about us. I keep stressing this, but it's about us, folks. That's what today's about. It's about us. You may not feel it. You may feel I'm just, I have no comeliness and there's nothing good about me and there's nothing that people would, would love or seek to, to look at about me. But actually inside you. It's not about our physical presence. It's about what's inside of you. So let's read on. Verse 3, his clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Because he did not, did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him or listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. So folks, I want you to stick with me as I just try to make this practical for us today. Where does God live? Where does, where does God live? Any ideas? He lives in heaven. Psalm 115 verse 16 says, The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth He has given to the children of men. So God lives in heaven. Isaiah 57 verse 15, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. God lives in eternity and in heaven. God lives in a place that is called heaven, it's called glory, it's called eternity, it's hard for us to understand. But where is heaven? Where is it? Some people say, well, I've heard people say, if you look above the North Pole, there's no stars there. So heaven is above the North Pole. And they say it's a physical place and if we could send a spaceship there, we'd find heaven. That's not right. Heaven, I'm going to show you now, is actually all around us. It's, it's a different dimension. It's a different realm. It's a bit like the TV waves that are in this room. You can't see them until you have a TV and you plug it in and then the TV shows what's here. Heaven is all around us. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah saw the Lord and it's an amazing picture. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, 
and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. Two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah had a glimpse into the heavenly realm. He saw God in heaven. But listen to what the angels said. They said, the whole earth is full of his glory. If we could see in the spiritual realm, the whole earth, not just bits of his glory, wherever there's churches meeting, <laughs> the whole earth is full of his glory. In Acts chapter 7, verse 55, the, the martyr Stephen is being about to be killed. He's about to be stoned to death. And it says, he says, he saw heaven open and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. So heaven was right there where Stephen was in, in Jerusalem at that time. Heaven was open to him. The spirit realm was open to him. Heaven is everywhere. It's all around us. Sometimes it breaks through into this realm. So in the Old Testament, the cloud of God's presence would come, and that was heaven breaking through. Or the tabernacle, the glory of God would descend on the tabernacle. Or do you remember when the Ten Commandments were given in Acts chapter 19, uh, Exodus 19? And the, the mountain was covered in smoke, and there was thunder and lightning and earthquakes and a very loud trumpet sound, and God came down on the mountain. You remember all of those? All of those are a foreshadowing of Jesus going up on a mountain. And again, the glory is there. Moses is there. The cloud comes. It's exactly the same as in the Old Testament when God came down on Mount Sinai and showed heaven to men. Jesus comes down and shows heaven. But heaven was inside Jesus. The glory of God was inside him. That's why in John chapter 1 verse 14 it says, we, the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. The glory of God was in Jesus, but it didn't come out all the time. It came out in His grace and in His truth, in His righteousness, in His healings. John chapter 2, verse 11, when Jesus changed the water to wine, it says, This the first of His miraculous signs He did, and manifested His glory to His disciples. Whenever he did miracles, his glory broke out. Whenever he spoke, his glory broke out. Whenever he was righteous and full of grace, his glory shone out. And this one time on the mountain, his glory shone out. Why am I telling you all this? Because you have that glory inside you. Let's just look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And it's a difficult passage. I must admit that when Paul writes some of these things... They're difficult to understand. <laughs> in 1 Peter, uh, sorry, 2 Peter 3, Peter writes, he says, when Paul writes, it's difficult to understand, just like all the other scriptures are difficult. He, even Peter admits that Paul's, the way Paul writes is sometimes tricky to get. He admits it. But there's truth in here, friends. Let's just read it. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he's comparing Moses and the law coming down with what's happened to us. Uh, let me start with verse 6. He says, God has made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The letter means something written on a tablet. So the old covenant was the tablets of stone came down. That was a covenant of letters written from the outside 
trying to make us good on the inside, but it never worked. But Jesus is the covenant of the Spirit from the inside. So let's read on. Verse 7. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? He says, there was glory in that old covenant test, in that old covenant. There was glory. In fact, Moses' face shone brightly whenever he was with the Lord, and he had to put a veil over his face. And we're about to be told that it was because he was embarrassed because the, the glory was actually diminishing. It was fading away. The glory, he saw God, and from the outside, the glory made his face shine, but it, it faded away because it was from the outside. It wasn't coming from the inside. But he says, our, our glory is even more glorious. Let's read on. Verse 9. For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, that's the old covenant law where we have to do things, otherwise we're guilty. He says, if that had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. Our glory is much greater than this. Verse 11. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. He says our glory is so much greater than it's almost, it's almost like that glory of the old covenant was nothing compared to what we have. Verse 11. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. He's saying the old covenant was about flesh and material things, uh, tablets of stone and our own flesh trying to be good. He says that's passing away. There's going to come a time where fire destroys it all. But what remains, the spirit inside us, that is much more glorious. Therefore, verse 12, since we have such a hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, so he says, Moses was kind of embarrassed and he was shy that it was passing away. We are bold. We open about it. Um, he then talks about the Jews. He says, but their minds were blinded for until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the, of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. So he says, whenever somebody tries to read the Bible from a law point of view, rules to obey, and if I'm using my flesh to try and understand it, my own human logic and my own flesh to be good enough, he says there's a veil that will stop you seeing the real life that's the spiritual life. And that's why the Jews, he says, can't understand it, because they're using their human natural brains and their fleshly try to be good, and they're reading the law written on tablets of stone or on a book, he says, if you're looking at physical things, the veil will stop you seeing the true spiritual. Then he says, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. He says, when you turn to the Lord as a spiritual thing, in other words, I'm not trying to be good with my flesh or obey rules or look at outside things. When I turn to the Lord, even if I'm looking at the Bible, but if I'm looking at it in the Spirit then the veil is taken away. If I say, Lord, I want the real, the spiritual, the heavenly, the supernatural, he says, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the, the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now listen to this. But we all, that's you and me, this is the verse I want you to focus on. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. But we all, 
with unveiled face. We don't have a veil on us because we're looking in the spiritual realm. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That is an incredible verse. What he's saying is that we, as we look at the glory of the Lord in the spiritual realm, as in a mirror, and I'm going to get on to why he says as in a mirror, but he says as we look at the glory of the Lord, we are changed into that glory from glory to glory. It's an amazing verse. It says if we really see God as He is, if we look at the spiritual realm, we see the glory of God. Just like Isaiah looked and he saw the whole earth is full of the glory of God and the, you know, just the, the power of God. If we see that, if we really see God's goodness, we get changed into that image from glory to glory. We, the more we look on it, the more we gaze on God's glory, the more we are changed into that glory. So 1 John 3 verse 2 talks about, it says, We shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. There's a connection. As I see Him, I'm changed and I become like Him. As I look at Him, I become like Him. Why is that? Only because we look at it as in a mirror. And this is the important bit, friends, that I really want us to get today. He says, we behold the glory of God. We see God's goodness, His power, His love. We see heaven. We see all the wonders of heaven. We see God's forgiveness, His grace. Imagine yourself sitting in heaven, like in Revelation. We see angels. We see the river of the water of life. We see God giving freely the water of life and healing to anyone who wants. We see all of our sins are, are washed away. We see we're seated with Christ on a throne we see fellowship with God. All, all the past has gone away and there's no more tears or crying or sorrow or pain. As we see that glory, he says, now that's like you're looking in a mirror because that's already on the inside of you. That, what you're seeing, that glory in the Spirit, that's already in you. And when you do that, when you're worshiping God and you realize, in my Spirit, I'm already there. The glory of God is already in me. He says, the more you worship in that way, it changes your physical life. It changes your emotions, your mental thoughts, your, those thought patterns that are wrong, those e terrible emotional traps you get into where you think, I'm useless, I'm rubbish, oh, I'm tempted to sin, then I do sin, I'm useless, I'm rubbish, I'm tempted, I'm useless. I'm... All of those wrong things, he says, we change from glory to glory so that just as Jesus displayed heaven, we start to display heaven. We start to act as if we're seated in heavenly places in authority with Christ. We start to act as if we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We start to act as if the peace of God is inside us. There's no more sorrow or crying or pain. As we reflect and look on God's glory, we become like Jesus and we shine it out to the world around us. You see, I've had many people come to me and they say, okay, I understand that heaven's inside of me. Right, how, do I, how does that affect my life on a day-to-day -day basis? What do I need to do to, to get this out of me? And he's saying here, you gaze in worship on His glory as in a mirror, realizing it's, it's in you already. And what happens is that every minute that you spend in worship like that, you're getting more and more from glory to glory. You're getting more and more like Jesus. You come out of a worship session where you've looked at God's glory, not, not like... 
in the Old Testament where we're saying, God, you're great out there. I'm useless in here. How can I get, be good enough to be close to you? That's not worship. Worship is, God, you're great, and you've forgiven me, and I'm seated in heaven with you already. When I gaze like that in complete love and acceptance and grace and faith, when I'm in that kind of a worship, you are changed. And the more time you spend in that kind of worship, the more you are changed. You see the greats who've done great things for the Lord, and you ask them, how much time do you spend in God's presence? It's amazing. I mean, hours and hours and hours. Some of the great guys who've done amazing things in the history of the church, they used to spend one, two, three, four, sometimes six hours a day in worship and prayer and, and enjoying the Lord every day. And then they would get so much done in the last two hours of the day. Why? Because heaven was breaking out of them. But you and I, we think, oh, well, I'll just say a quick two-minute prayer on my way to work put on a little bit of worship music and everything will be fine and then I'll work hard for the Lord all day. That's not the answer. The more time you worship, you spend in His presence, the more heaven will break through. I'm just going to read on a couple of verses later just to make this extra clear to you. So we've read chapter 3, verse, chapter 4, verse 3. He says, but even if our gospel is veiled, he's still talking about this veil thing. It is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. He says when people don't believe, it's because the devil has stopped them from seeing the spiritual. This veil that stops them seeing the spiritual. They're just looking at physical things, but when they're really when the, that veil is removed and they start looking at the, the spiritual reality that Jesus died for me, that God has forgiven me, that the whole spiritual realm is, is there and it's in me, he says, then they see the, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, and it shines on them. But now listen to this, verse 6. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts, that's your heart, and it's past tense. God who commanded light to shine out of darkness has shone in your heart to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let me read that again. God has shone in your heart to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It has happened. Friends, what am I saying? I'm saying if you've believed in Jesus, if you've seen Him on the cross for you and said, yes, Jesus, you died for me, heaven has been put in your spirit. And in fact, your spirit, I haven't got time to talk about it now, but you're already in heaven. You're already there. You're already enjoying heaven. The glory of God, the light of God that shone out of Jesus' face on that day, it's in you. He says, He has shone in your heart the light of of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He's referring to that very, mess, that very event. He says, it's in you. You say, oh, but I don't feel like it's in me. I feel rubbish. I feel weak. I feel sick. I feel depressed. I feel guilty. I'm a sinner. I'm useless. Oh, I don't feel it. He says, there's, there's a veil that's stopping you. You're looking at the flesh. Look at the spirit. Look at what's in you and worship God. <laughs> worship Him. 
Look at his glory and just worship him. Thank you, God, that I'm forgiven, that you love me, that all things are mine, that I'm seated with you in heavenly places. He says, you do that enough and incrementally you will find, you'll look back on your life in six months time and you'll say, look how much different I am from where I was six months ago. Why is that? Is it because I've been trying hard? No, I've just been worshiping. I've just been gazing at his glory. There's something significant here, friends. Something life-changing. If you and I can learn on a regular basis to spend time gazing at the Lord, not trying to earn anything, but gazing as in a mirror at the glory of God, I promise you your life will be different. So what we're going to do now is we're just going to worship for a few minutes because the more we worship, the more we are changed. Is that all right? So let's stand together. So friends, I'm going to ask you to stop looking with your physical eyes. You can close your physical eyes if you like and just use the eyes of your heart right now and just imagine yourself in glory in heaven. Imagine it. See yourself there. You're forgiven already. Judgment day is past. It's happened in the past. You're forgiven. There's no more crying, no more sorrow, no more tears. You're with Jesus on a throne. He loves you. He accepts you. He's proud of you. He's pleased with you, full of joy. The river of the water of life is freely accessible. The trees of the, the tree of life, the, the leaves are available for the healing. Everything is yours. You have peace. You have everything you need. That's the place we worship out of. That's the place where we give God glory and where we're changed. And while you're just focusing on that right now, I just want to say that if you're here today and you say, I don't know if I've been born again. I don't know if I've given my life to God. I don't know if I were to die, whether I would go to heaven. Today is the day. Just before we start worshiping, I'm going to ask you to make a decision today to put up your hand in a moment and say, yes, Lord Jesus, I want to be in heaven with you. I want to be forgiven. I believe you died on the cross for me. If you do that today, heaven floods into your soul, right into the middle of you, and you're changed forever. So just make that decision right now. If that's you, you just need to say these words with me. Just say, dear Lord Jesus, just in your heart, just put your own heart into these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. Please come into my life. Wash me clean and make me brand new. I thank you that today is a new start and I'm a new creation in Jesus' name. Friends, if you prayed that prayer with me, you are born again today and then you can sing these songs with, with everybody else. So instead of lifting your hand now to say you prayed that prayer, just lift your hands in the worship while we worship the Lord. Let's sing together. Thanks for listening. For more information, go to leadinglightsnetwork.com.